in uh, 2 Corinthians 3, it says this. Paul says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So often we don't read the rest of the context of this. I just want to read it. Paul says this. Now, the Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into His likeness. So where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom to what? Freedom to change more into his likeness. Isn't that good? So where, we, where there's a freedom of the Spirit of God, it's a freedom to change into his likeness. Can we pray, Father? We thank you so much for this day. We thank you for every opportunity that we have as your people to be together. We thank you for your church, as we've already spoken about today, across this earth, which is rising up like a sleeping giant to stand and be the chief mountain in the, in the world that the nations and the world will stream to and say, Zion, people of God, teach us your ways. So God, as we, as we look into your word today, which is your voice in print, We ask you, Holy Spirit, that is here to bring freedom, will bring freedom to change so that we can leave here having encountered you to go and touch a world with that encounter to see this world one for you. In Jesus' mighty, awesome name we pray. And everybody said, amen. If you can turn to Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to go quick today and jump straight into this this season and this theme that we've been on for this whole year, which is from Daniel 11:32, which says this, those who know their God will be strong and do great exploits. Know God, do strong, be strong, and do great. And this passage is actually sequential. It's impo- We have to know God in order to be strong, and we need to be strong in order to do great. And we're in the last section of this. We split it into three. And in these last four months, we are talking about go. September, October, November, and December. Go, go, go. Turn to your neighbor and say go. Two-thirds of God's name is go. Those who know their God will be strong and do great exploits. Know, grow, go. Know, grow, go. Know, know him, grow in him, and go in him. Know, grow, go. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And I have the great privilege of really kicking off and engaging in this whole thing of go. And I'm going to go there in just a minute. But if you can, turn to Genesis. I want to kind of lay a bit of a foundation today. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis Chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering, everybody say hovering, hovering over the surface of the deep. Another word in the Hebrew there was flutter. The Spirit of God was fluttering over the surface of the deep. Now, I personally believe that God didn't create the world formless and void. I believe he created it as something that was good because God is good. But when Adam, or, or sorry, when Lucifer was cast out of heaven, chaos came into the earth. Because wherever there is a a demon, wherever the demonic is, there's darkness, there's chaos, and there's emptiness. And that's why God put man on the earth to make something beautiful out of that which was destroyed and dark and chaotic and empty. 
And I want to say to you, church, that is still God's mandate for us today to rule and subdue and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living thing that walks along the ground. That includes creeps. <laughs> over everything that creeps along the ground. What a mandate that we have I read this a few weeks ago. This was from the Archbishop of Canterbury 400 years ago, and he said this, If you want to see what God is doing, look for where the church is unsettled, restless, and out of balance, because it's on the edge of that that you'll find a move of God. Wow. God is not afraid of chaos. He is not afraid of darkness. He is not afraid of emptiness. I want to suggest to you that God is attracted to that. And that's what's happening in Genesis chapter 1. The earth was in chaos. The earth was void. The, the, the earth was in darkness. But the Spirit of God was fluttering over the earth, waiting for God to speak. And when God speaks, life happens. Brooding, fluttering, waiting for a word from God. In Genesis, where it says that Adam walked with God in the cool of the day, I always imagined God going for a nice, pleasant walk at about three or four in the afternoon when it was cool. But actually, the word there is the word ruach. So actually, God, man was walking in the spirit of God. He was walking in the spirit. That's amazing, isn't it? He was walking in the spirit of God. I'm going to jump through very quickly because you know the story. As Genesis becomes Genesis 2 and 3, you see the fall of man. And, and man disobeys God. And by the time we get to chapter 8 in the book of Genesis, it says this that every inclination of man's heart was evil all the time. Every inclination. But God found a man named Moa. Noah. Noah, still a little bit jet-lagged, stay with me. <laughs> Moa. I did buy a lawnmower yesterday, maybe that's what it was. Um, God found a man named Noah. Everyone say Noah and his family of eight people, and you know the story, God told him to take two of every animal and take them into the ark, and then God shut them in, he sealed them in. And he rescued Adam, sorry, Noah and his family and all the animals, and God put a rainbow in the sky and said, never again will I flood the earth. In fact, the promise is, as surely as I live, says the Lord, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, Winter and seasons, sowing and reaping, will never, ever cease. So whatever the scientists say about global warming, you can stand on the promise that whenever you see a rainbow, that will not happen. And after 40 days, Noah sent out a raven from the ark, and the raven didn't come back. And the reason the ravens don't, the raven didn't come back is ravens are okay to land on things that are unclean. If you can imagine, as the waters are going down after 40 days, there is deadness, there's rotting, there's flesh, there's decay. And ravens are happy to land on that which is of mixture, that which is filthy, that which is dirty, that which is dying or dead and decaying. So Noah sent out a dove. 
And the dove came back. Why? Because a dove will not land on something that is of mixture, something that is dirty, something that is decaying. So he came back. And after seven days, Noah sent the dove out again. This time the dove came back with an olive branch and he sent him out again. And the third time, after another seven days, the dove did not return. The dove found somewhere where he could rest, somewhere that was clean. And I want to suggest to you that after that church, that from right from the beginning, this dove, which represents something a person I'm going to go to in a moment, started to fly throughout the earth looking for somewhere where he could rest. And he went to Abraham and he was looking for somewhere he could rest. He went to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Gideon, he went to David's house, fluttering, 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 looking for somewhere he could arrive, looking for somewhere that he could rest, looking for somewhere that wasn't of mixture, something that wasn't decaying, something that wasn't dead. Isaiah, in six, Isaiah 64 says, oh, Isaiah prophesies this, oh God, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Oh God, that you would split open the skies and come down here and deal with this mixture, deal with this death, deal with this decay. And after hundreds of years of darkness, you see that prophetic word fulfilled with John the Baptist the forerunner of the Christ. And as Isaiah said, there will be one, a voice calling in the desert to prepare the way of the Lord. And we see John the Baptist starting his ministry. And Jesus is baptized by John. Why? Because he was, yes, the son of God, but he was also the son of man. He was fully God. And yet he was man, yet without sin yet without decay, yet without mixture, yet without death, yet without filth. And as you know the story, as John the Baptist comes up out of the water, Isaiah's other prophetic word comes to pass. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down and the skies open up and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and rested on Jesus. And a voice from heaven came saying, this is my son who I am well pleased. The dove found somewhere that he could rest. Often when I go into different countries or different churches or different places and we talk about what God is doing and I hear often this well, there's a spirit over this place, you know. This is very hard ground. The darkness is heavy. When Fee and I first arrived here in St. Charles, Geneva area, we were told by somebody, every charismatic church in this area goes the way of the dodo. We're like, great, glad I'm in this group. And they began to list every charismatic church that shut down. And I said, why do you think that is? It's the spirit. I said, what spirit? The spirit of the fox. Wow. It's on the bridge. I'm like, oh. 
They said, have you heard about that? I said, I've heard about spirit, yeah. You have, what do you think, what spirit do you think is operating in this area? I said, do you really want to know? They said, yeah. I said, you ready? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The name that is above every name. The name that is above every title that can be given, not only in the current age, but also in the age to come. He's the Holy Spirit. And Mike and Thalia here today. Uh, I was asked by Mike a few weeks ago if I could meet somebody that he knew from work that didn't know the Lord and do a funeral for a family whose 15-year-old daughter had died in her sleep during the night. And as I heard, I said, Mike, I, I would be honored. He said, I know you're busy, I know you're traveling, but could you do it? I said, I, I would love to. And the first reason why is I thought, this, Isaiah 61 says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to something. And what he's anointed me to is to set captives free, to release prisoners from darkness, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to comfort those who mourn, and for those who grieve in Zion. That's why we're anointed, church. I think I've talked about this before, but if you keep reading, there's a gear shift in Isaiah, and he goes from the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and then he says, they will be oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. It's so important that we see people that we're trying to reach through the eyes of how God sees them as far as what they're to be. Okay, I'm not going to go on a sidetrack. So I, I had this privilege of sitting with this family and, and a room full of people, full, full of people that didn't know the Lord, didn't know, you know, the Bible says we grieve not as those who have no hope. That doesn't mean we don't grieve. It just means our grief is different because we do have a hope. But what about those who don't have a hope? And as I began to just talk and felt the pain in the room, the mother stood up and she said this. I want to talk about my daughter's last words. And as she began to talk about her 15-year-old daughter who died, and the last things that her daughter said, I was holding on to this girl's younger brother, I think he was six, who was crying. And I held the microphone, and he spoke after his mother, and he shared things about his sister. And I came away just very appreciative and thankful that I had the privilege of standing with a family and showing them the comfort of the Holy Spirit. But one of the things that struck me was the power of someone's last words. And I went away thinking, what are the last words that Jesus said to us? And on this whole theme of those who know their God will be strong and do great exploits, know, grow, go. The title of my message this morning is Famous last words. What were the famous last words of Jesus to his disciples? What were the famous last words of Jesus to his church? What are the famous last words of Jesus to us? Because this theme is go, that we're called to go. And there's, a, there's something provocative in this time, that we're not here just to come along to get along, but we're here because we've been anointed by the Spirit of God to do something. And I want us to provoke us in that. Is that okay? All right, so should we go through these famous last words? Um, let's go to the first, is in Matthew. We're going to go through each one of the Gospels. I'm going to go fast. Matthew, Matthew 28 and verse 19. Matthew 28, verse 19. 
These are all going to be very familiar. Actually, I'm going to read from verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. If he has all, then someone has none. All authority has been given to me, Jesus says. He's standing on a mountain. He's got his disciples, disciples together. Mountains in the Bible speak of majesty. If you go onto a mountain, you have a better view. And so he's taking his disciples. He's told them to meet them there. And he says, right, here are my last words to you. Go! And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, because surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. What was the last words? What was Jesus' famous last words in the Gospel of Matthew? Go! Go! Go and make disciples of every nation. It's really important that it's of the nations, not to the nations. In other words, we don't go with a Western mindset into another part of the world and, treat, and, and create a Western gospel, but we make disciples of that nation. Which means when we live, leave, it doesn't become westernized, but the Christ is being fully formed in his people and in the church. Amen. Praise God, hallelujah, thank you. Mark chapter 16, let's go quick. Mark chapter 16, Mark chapter 16, famous last words. Mark chapter 16. <laughs> this is powerful. Verse 14. Later, Jesus appeared to the leaven while they were eating, and he rebuked them for their lack of faith, their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. I think this is really fascinating, church, that Jesus is rocking up after the resurrection. He's walking into a room, Mark chapter 16, and the disciples, the men of power for the hour, that have been with him for three and a half years, are scared. They're in a room, scared. He walks through the wall, and he says... What on earth are you doing? And he rebukes them for these three things. They had no faith, hard hearts, and they didn't believe in the resurrection. Do you, do you think that's like pretty like major? That's a pretty big character flaw. These are the, these are the guys you spent three and a half years with him, with, with, and after exactly what you said will happen, you go to see them to give them some famous last words, and they're scared, they've got hard hearts, no faith, and they don't even believe in the resurrection. But what I love here, and I believe this is a New Testament pattern, that, that instead of saying you need to go to pastor's rehab, instead of saying you need some deep, serious clinical counseling, he did rebuke them, but then he said these words, Go! Go! And preach the good news to all creation. Whoever is believed and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. And when they place their hands on sick people, they will get well. What's the commission? Go, go, go. 
but we're scared. Go, but we have hard hearts. Go, but we've got no faith. Go, but we don't even believe in the resurrection. Have you ever been in a place where you're just like, I'm just not sure where I'm at anymore. I feel my heart's gone hard. I'm not sure. I'm not really sure that my faith level is up. I want to encourage you today that the New Testament pattern is don't shut down for repair. Get going. Because the commission, the famous last words in Matthew and in Mark is go. Get going. Go and do what I've asked you to do. Go. 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 You will find, you will find an anointing when you go. When you lay hands on the sick, you'll find an anointing. When you cast out demons, you'll find an anointing. So don't, set, don't shut down. Get going. Get going. And some of you need to hear this today. Some of you, there's stuff going on deep inside yourself. And you think, if anyone even knew what I was really facing, if anyone knew what I was really thinking, I've got good news for you today. He does. In fact, he knows you better than you know you. He knows what you need before you ask it. And if you're in that place today, I want to encourage you, get, get going. Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke 24, verse 48. You can look at it on your own. It says this, I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but wait in the city till you have been clothed with power from on high. Wait here in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. There ain't no high like the most high. Interesting instruction. I want you to wait here. Don't go anywhere without being clothed with power from the Most High. And the last one is John chapter 21. And we're going to turn there in a moment, but there's something fascinating which I'd not seen before. One of the things I love about the Word of God is it's It's alive. It's God's voice in print. It's the only book you'll ever read when the author is always present. And you can find yourself reading something and think, I've, I've never seen that before. I love the word of God because it's alive. Paul prayed to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know him better. So that you can know him better. The hope to which he's called you. The glorious inheritance in the saints. I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that the spirit of wisdom and revelation will come. And church, I want to encourage you. I practiced it this morning and taught it here in this house before. To find my center. To open my hands. And say, good morning, Holy Spirit. Before I start with a long list of all the things that I need or want or I'm expecting or the things I'm upset about or discouraged about or disappointed with, just to say, good morning, Holy Spirit. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Before we go to John chapter 21 and look at the famous last words there, um, if you can turn to Luke chapter 4, sorry, Luke chapter 5. If you have an iPad or a Bible... Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 5. I read this uh, the last time I I was with you here on a Sunday morning. Um, And so I'm not going to labor on this, but this was the story where Jesus first met the disciples. This is before Peter was an apostle, before he was one of the disciples. And Jesus rocks up, if you remember, and they'd fished all night 
long. They were on the Sea of Galilee, which actually, it actually isn't a sea. It's actually a lake. And the lake is actually the lowest freshwater lake in the world. It's about 700 feet below sea level. The only lake that's lower than that is the Dead Sea, but it's not fresh. It's about 33 miles round, and they'd fished all night and caught nothing. And a few weeks ago, I brought out the point that when Jesus found them, they were doing something. Anyone remember what it was? They were washing and they were mending their nets. And when you're at a low point in your life and you're at a point where you feel fruitless, you've fished all night, you've put so much effort in, but you seemingly get such a little in return. When Jesus shows up, how does he find you? And there's something about washing nets and mending nets that is tied to living in expectation for what's about to happen. They were washing their nets and mending their nets because they were mature enough as fishermen to know there's another day coming. But if you remember the calling of the disciples, Jesus gave this instruction. He said, leave your nets and follow me for I will make you fishers of men. In that particular story in Luke chapter 5, Jesus tells them to go back into the boat and put the cast the nets on the other side. Those boats were only about four foot wide. And when they did that, they, first of all, Peter says, Master, we fished all night and have caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, we will do what you say. You know, when we give God what we have, he turns it into what we need. Yes, Lord. But there's something I want you to just mark in your thinking about this man, Peter, who's such a character, I love him. Gives me hope every day. (laughs) And this, everyone say Peter. Peter is fishing. Jesus tells him to leave his nets and follow me. So he does that. Now go to to John 21 and we're going to finish there. John 21. Famous last words. Then we're going to pray. John 21. The last, gospel, the last chapter in the Gospel of John. After Jesus had appeared again to his disciples. I'm going to read from verse 3. Peter says this. I'm going fishing. Simon Peter told them. So they said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Can you see a pattern here? Jesus meets Peter. He's fishing. He caught nothing. Jesus says, Peter, I want you to leave your nets. I want you to follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Peter has a pretty rough ride. He messes up, as we know. He denied he never even knew Jesus. And on these famous last words... We see in this man, Peter, who's messed up so many times. And at the end, these famous last words, this famous encounter that Jesus has with his disciples. Where do they find Peter? Going back to do the very thing that Jesus told them to leave. I'm going fishing, Peter says. And the others said, we'll go 
with you. And that night, they caught nothing. The next day, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not recognize it was Jesus. Church, when we're not doing what we should be doing, number one, our life is fruitless. And number two, it's possible to not even recognize the voice of the one that sent us. And I love this again because these famous last words of Jesus are so redemptive. That's what I love about God. He's a God of restoration. When he looks at me, he sees not what I used to be, but he sees Jesus. When God looks at you, he sees not what you used to be, he sees Jesus. That's why when there is true repentance, we do not have a right to bring up our previous sin. And we also don't have a right to bring up somebody else's. Because when Jesus forgives something, as far as the east is from the west, so he has removed, listen to this, our transgressions from us, and he remembers them no more. So if God doesn't remember, neither should you. The only person that will remind you is the devil and because he is the accuser of the brethren. But when that voice comes and says, I know what you're really like, you say, shut your mouth. To hell with the devil. You're a mouse with a microphone. Write him a note and stick it on your shoe because that's the only place he can read it from underneath your feet he is defeated that's why he's a snake he used to have feet then he got his legs cut off now he's defeated he is a defeated foe Jesus says all authority and heaven and on earth has been given to me if he has all someone has none I'm just going to remind you of this just because it's just so powerful. I want to say this this is really important the devil has power but he doesn't have authority And authority always wins over power. Jesus says, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. Stay stay with me. I can see some of you like, really? Somewhere in this building, there is an electrical room. And in that electrical room, there'll be a big handle that will say on and off. The person who has the key to that electrical room has the authority to shut down the power. The devil has power, but he doesn't have authority. And authority always wins over power. Do you remember the story of the, little, of the Boy Scouts in India? Anyone ever been to India? Many years ago, I, I took our whole family to India, and, I, and in my teens, I traveled there a lot on business to the silver markets in Rajasthan, and they don't have traffic lights. When you get to a roundabout, you have a policeman who's standing on a bucket. He's standing in a place of authority, and when he puts his hand up, the traffic will stop. When he beckons for the traffic to start moving, he stops one line of traffic and gets another one to start moving. And one day there was a car accident, and a putt-putt hit another putt-putt, and so the police officer got off his bucket, and without knowing it, there was a group of Boy Scouts that were crossing over the street, and right at the back there was a little boy who wanted to stand on the bucket. He'd seen the policeman standing on the bucket, so when no one was looking, he snuck out into the middle of the traffic, and he stood on the bucket. And this little boy put his hand up, 
and all the traffic stopped. Then he put his other hand up and all the traffic stopped. And then he told the other line of traffic to start coming. And the traffic started moving. Why? Those trucks could have mowed him down, but they didn't. Why? Because he was stood in a place of authority. Jesus says, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. The enemy has power, but he doesn't have authority. Authority always wins over power. So we must know our authority and stand in our authority If he has all, someone has none. And Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, and I give it to you, the church. We need to know our authority. We need to stand in, in our authority. So let's finish this. John chapter 21. Let's read this together. When he had finished eating, verse 15 Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you, love, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, then will you go and feed my lambs? We know, we've, we're well-taught people, how, what the different words for love are here and the significance of the three times. Three times he denied him. But what I love in the redemptive way that God works with us as people to this day is something is so significant in this that Jesus' last words in this last encounter he's having with the disciples in John chapter 21 is he's saying, Peter, we kind of gone right back to the beginning, don't you think? This issue in you, this issue in your life of being frustrated, anger, cutting off ears, <laughs> this issue in your life of being up and down, up and down, and here you are going back and doing the thing that you were doing when I found you and it was fruitless and I helped you be fruitful to teach you that the thing I've actually called you to do is not fish in the natural but fish in the spiritual and to, become, and to, be, and to fish for men. So Peter, if you really love me, I want you to go and do what I've asked you to do, not to fish, but to go and make disciples, to go and preach the gospel, and to go and feed my sheep. And after this, Jesus prophesies over him about his life, how his life is going to end. And church, I want to say this. I believe that that day Jesus was saying, today, Peter, this issue in your life has been resolved. I've dealt with it deep in its core. This insecurity in you. This vulnerability in you. This up and down, this cyclical pattern in you. I'm dealing with it. And this is how your life is going to end. In Acts chapter 1, Luke writes, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach 
And they said, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he says, no, it's not for you. No, 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 the times or dates that my father has set by his authority, but, but, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit, when the dove comes upon you. Why? So that you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But I want you to wait. I want you to wait here in Jerusalem until you receive power. And Acts chapter 2 comes, and they were all together. Everyone say together. They were together in one place. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is the celebration of diversity. It's the actual Greek tense is they came to the same temperature. It's not walking along. Yes, we're all in a total agreement with doctrine. No, it's being unified in spirit, in praying in the spirit. And there's such a sense of togetherness and oneness in the Holy Spirit that there became a suddenly. God rarely moves immediately, but he always moves suddenly. And the suddenlies happen when there's a unity. They were together. They came to a boiling point in their prayer and their togetherness. And the whole house where they were was filled with the Holy Spirit. And people from every nation heard them speaking in their own tongue. Some, however, thought they were drunk and started to laugh at them. Then Peter, everyone say Peter. Peter, the one who's had this issue dealt with deep inside of him, who's been a commission to go even after all the disappointments and, up, and after all the ups and downs. Jesus, who loved him, he says, Peter stands up and he says, Men of Jerusalem, listen carefully to me. Let me explain this to you. Isn't it great to have someone that can stand up and explain what the Holy Spirit is doing? And there's something about a biblical pattern that's so that the, the actual explanation came after what happened. So often we just teach and teach and teach, hoping that something will happen. But I think there's something here in the New Testament. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach. The teaching came after the doing. Hello. So Peter, what happened, then Peter stands up and says, listen carefully to me. Let me explain to me this to you. These men are not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what Joel prophesied about. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, both young and old, both men and women. And they will prophesy in those days. Church, I believe God is looking for a people right now on the earth where the dove can rest. I believe God is looking for a people that are without mixture, without decay, without filth, without gossip, without nastiness. It's bleh. God hates it. Without division, without divide. There's six things that God hates and one that is detestable to him and it's he who stirs up dissension amongst the brethren. It's God, it, it, God doesn't hate it. It's detestable to him. And the dove, watch this, will not land on that which is decaying, that is that is which is detestable the dove will land on that. It's a clean bird. It will land on something that is clean, something that is wholesome. And so church, I want to just leave us today with this provocate, provocation to not live in mixture, to not live in double-mindedness, to not live in filth, but to get to find our hearts and to get our hearts in a position today for where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Freedom to what? Freedom to change. 
freedom to change into the likeness of his image. I'll, I'll end with this and then we're going to stand. In fact, let's stand and I'll read it. Oh. Thank you, Lord. Second Chronicles 16 verse 9 says this, The eyes of the Lord... The eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the world, looking, watch this, looking to see whose hearts are fully devoted to him. In the beginning, the Spirit of God was fluttering over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was fluttering over the darkness, over the chaos, over the emptiness, looking for a word, looking for a word from God. And when Noah sent out the dove, he came back until he could find a place where he could rest. John when he baptized Jesus, Jesus came up out of the water to fulfill the words of Isaiah. Heaven opened, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And the dove descended on the one who was without sin and came to rest right there. Jesus then said, I must go to the Father. It's better that I go because if I don't go, it's just me. But if I go to the Father, he will send you one. He will send you the paraclete. He will send you the Holy Spirit to be with all of you for always, even to the ends of the earth. So today, there is the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, fluttering, waiting and looking throughout the earth. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the earth, looking to see those whose hearts are fully devoted to him, without mixture, without decay, without that filth. And church, I believe God just wants to rest on you and rest on me, where he can say, I can rest here. I can rest here. Just put your hands out, will you? I'm not going to pray for people today. and Unless someone's got something, I, I, just, I just feel to... <sighs> just pause. I don't know if someone can come on the keys, but just to pause for a moment and just allow Holy Spirit to flutter over us. Just look at your own heart. Don't worry about the person next to you. If we want the freedom of the Holy Spirit, I want you to know it's here so that we can, we can be changed into his likeness. And he's looking for a people. He's looking for you and he's looking for me where he can rest. Where he can rest. Where he can rest. There's nowhere like the rest of God. You know, you can't manufacture peace. You can light candles in your home and put on some very soft, nice music. But you cannot, you cannot manufacture the peace of God. And I believe God just wants to rest on you. Heads of home, dads, kids, mums, daughters. He wants to rest. He wants to rest. Wants to rest. In Isaiah six, when the prophet Isaiah saw the Lord in the presence of the dove, in present in the presence of the Almighty God, he said, "This I'm a man." 
with unclean lips. Woe to me. If you read it, the seraphim got a call from the altar and he touched him. I love this because in one second, in a moment, God touched him. And Isaiah changed his confession to woe is me, to here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. And church, you, you may, there may be something that's secret deep in your heart. There may be things that you need to start cleaning, nets that you need to start cleaning, things in your nets that you need to start mending, getting ready for another word from God. But I want you to know that God can do more in you in two seconds than you can do in 200 years. So Spirit of the living God, I ask that you would flutter through this place, that you would rest, that you would bring healing like that coal that touched Isaiah's lips. Lord, that as people just, as your people to this morning right now, just hold their hearts open to you, that your eyes would go to and throughout this room, looking to see whose hearts are fully devoted to you. And God, no matter what filth has come into our life, I thank you, that God, that when we ask you, that when we confess our sin, you are faithful and you are just to forgive us for all unrighteousness. And when you do, as far as the east is from the west, you remove them from us and you remember them no more. I thank you that the accuser of the brethren has no unsubtle claims on your people. And as we stand here today, God, and we leave here, we do so with our heads up. We lift up our heads, all your gates. We thank you that you, the King of glory, has come in. And we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. Will you say that? Lord, we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. Amen.